Hey Sprocket listeners, Guthrie here. Just a quick note, we had some issues recovering some audio for this episode, but we have the main part, which is the interview. Hope you enjoy, and look forward to regular intro and exit programming next week. On to the interview. I'm Joan. I don't think we've met before, so it's nice to see you. That's that's Yuzu in the back. She may be jumping up and down. (laughs) I don't know how much she can see her, but she was scratching at the glass before. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Well, welcome, you two. First of all, I just want to let you know the reason why I asked you to be on, and and both of you preferably, this was when we met at at the bike shop ride, when I was doing the bike shop ride. And the, the thing that spurred me on was I had a comment. I posted, you know, I posted on social media, I posted, and I think it was on Twitter. Oh, I'm so glad to see so many women in the bike industry. You know, it's such a nice change. And it was like, totally. It's like, I think almost every shop, you know, there were women working at the shop. Well, a lot of them anyway. So I think that's what uh, made me think, wow, we should have them on. We should have you guys on. And, <laughs> and, uh, get some feedback about you working in the bike industry. So that's that's what prompted this. Well, welcome, Jenna and Sophie, to the show. Um, Thank you. You're very welcome. We're, we're very glad that you're here. And we have uh, Joan and Aaron are also here. Hi. Usually we start and ask our guests to just say a little bit about yourselves and uh, do an introduction, and then we'll go from there. Right on. Jenna, do you want to start? <laughs> sure. Um, my name is Jenna, and I'm a bike mechanic by trade. I also do a lot of other things, not really for bikes, but since we're on a bike podcast, I'll speak a little bit about how I got into the industry. Um, I had left traditional schooling to pursue something that I was more interested in, passion, like passionate about, and that was not academia. So I went on this bike trip and met a warm showers host that was a bike mechanic, and she... Um, had talked well about it and that kind of deceived my mind. And so when I moved to Portland, I was like, oh, let's give it a try. Portland being such a bike-centric city. So um, got my foot in the door and it just came, went from there. And it's been a great two years, especially working through the pandemic. But what a wild ride it has been. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, I'm Sophie. Um, I've lived in Portland for about five years now. Um, I'm originally from Miami, and that's kind of where I started um, appreciating and cultivating community through bikes. Um, I am one of the one of the many ride organizers for the Unity Ride uh, here in Portland, the WTFNB Ride. Um, I used to work at Kenton Cycle Repair with Jenna, um, but now I moved on to a mental health and addictions recovery agency because that's where my studies lie. Um, So I'm currently in school uh, to become an addictions counselor. Well, so I would be interested in hearing um, from both of you, uh, like how, like kind of the transition from 
riding bikes, what kind of, what kind of riding you were doing and then becoming a bike mechanic. And I was going to say, I'm presuming that you were riding bikes a fair amount before you became a mechanic, but I suppose that that it would be very strange if that wasn't part of the path, but can you talk a little bit about the, the, you know, kind of ways that bikes were part of your life? And then did you start like working on your bike or kind of what that transition was? Yeah. Um, before I had gotten into bikes, I rode around Los Angeles as a means to get around commuting to work, going to tennis practice, um, very light. LA is not great for commuting, so I did it when I could and did a bit of light touring and also rode pretty consistently in college. But it wasn't until that I moved to Portland that I got into more serious riding, like mountain biking or gravel or longer rides. But it's always been such a joy, like source of joy and that feeling of freedom to me that had inspired me to uh, want to work with it and bring that feeling to other people. Yeah, I had also ridden a fair amount um, before I started working um, in a bike shop. During my time in a bike shop, I wasn't like fully a mechanic. I did pretty much like some work here and there. But yeah, I had pretty much mostly commuted throughout. Um, like even when I was growing up in Miami, I'd like rode my bike to school or rode around town. And that was, and then once I got familiar with social rides, that kind of became my favorite way of socializing because riding my bike became so much of my life of like how I got around. And I feel like people are either bike people or not. Like, and it's kind of sometimes hard to like socialize people who don't want to ride a bike or don't want to commute by a bike. And so it's really fun when you meet other people that's like, yeah, let, let's get around town this way. Or, um, you know, let's just go on a nice ride together. It's really like my, one of my favorite ways that I've like created community and made friends. And, you know, and then that just kind of like transferred over to when I moved to Portland. That's one of the many things that gravitated me to Portland as a city was that it's pretty bike friendly, pretty, pretty bike conscious. So we were talking a little bit right before we started with the questions. And I said, the reason why I asked, I wanted to have you on the show was because when I did my bike shop ride during Petapalooza this summer, I went to a, a lot of shops that had a lot of women staff. And it was like, I, someone commented and said, Hey, that's great. All those women working in the bike shops there that I've not seen that before, or or it's, it's becoming more common, let's put it that way. So, and that you guys were both working at Kenton and I think there were even more women that were working there. What is that, what was that like? Or how, how did, why was Kenton so much different than maybe other shops? I think it being, well, it was, it's a smaller shop and I think we all work really closely together. And yeah, I don't know if it was just by pure coincidence or just the way that also the interviews, it was like most of the people that worked at the shop were present for them. So it was kind of like a collaborative decision on who would get hired. And, you know, it was kind of like if everyone wanted someone that they connected really well with, then it would just happen that way. And yeah, and it just kind of made the environment not as uncomfortable to be in or like this competition of who knows more. And it became a lot more of like a learning environment as well, rather than this, I'm, I'm the better bike mechanic than you are. I know more than you do. And I think also a lot of like customers really responded well to that. Cause I feel like 
people come into a bike shop and feel intimidated of, I don't know anything about my bike. I love bikes, but I don't know anything about it. And I think that creates like a way healthier environment when it comes to that's typically dominated by, by men. Well, so I would be interested. That's, that's super interesting what you're saying. And it may be that like, because there are women working there, then it becomes a more comfortable place for other women. Um, and I'm wondering if you have chatted with other women who work in bike shops, different, I'm not asking you to like name names, but like, if they're the only woman there and like, are they having like what you're saying about it's not competitive, it's more collaborative. Are you hearing that that's different than other environments? I mean, I've only been on the like customer side of things in a bike shop. So I don't know what the like culture is of working at one. Mm-hmm. If there is one. I think that really differs from shop to shop. But when I walk into Kenton, it's immediately noticeable with the intentionality of creating welcoming space. And Jenna, have you been in Portland for two years or longer? I can't remember what you said. I've been here two years now, but I worked at a number of shops. Okay. But sometimes, or at least I experienced that a little bit more with client, uh, with customers, where mm-hmm. especially like older men, they just don't think that you know what you're talking about right away. And they always want to talk to the, the male coworkers, the male employees there, or like the owner, which the owner at Kenton, he's a man. So it was like, uh, okay, step aside. Like, you know, I, I'm going to talk to someone who knows what you're talking about. It's like, I know what I'm talking about. Or, you know, and that would happen a lot with like to Jenna or to Claire, where it was like, they were invisible. They were just transparent. I would like witness it with my own eyes and be like, they literally just worked on your bike. Like, (laughs) how could you talk to someone like that? And I just imagine that that probably is the case with other, I mean, I don't know any shops specifically, but I can just imagine that that would happen as well with like fellow employees. You know, if it goes unchecked, then it's kind of like, you just question like your knowledge and um, your experience. And or, just, or like, if you're a good mechanic, you're like the exception, right? Like, well, you're cool, yeah. but you know, maybe the other girls aren't or something. I don't even know. Hopefully they at least right. say women, there's, but yeah, there's also this like subtle unspoken culture about, you know, being one of the guys or like, it hasn't been such a blatant force that I've dealt with, but it's always in the back of my mind. Like, oh, can she hang? Yeah, another dynamic in itself that's that goes beyond bike culture too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I so I used to work um, right after college. I worked for a handful of years in outdoor recreation. So it was mm-hmm. this is in Western North Carolina. So it was very much a male dominated industry, and um, you know, it's like it's both like kind of pretty liberal people, right? But then also just some of these ideas about like. I like they were trying to stop these really common practices like it's okay if two people carry a raft right like we don't also we don't like it's better even if there's a very strong person who can carry a raft by themselves over their head it's better if they don't right like it's better for everyone to get help doing these things it's like safer Mm -hmm. it's better for the equipment and so there was kind of this like I don't know, machismo or toxic masculinity that's, that was sometimes infused in things like who's the strongest or like who, yeah, like just the person who is the 
best bicyclist, whatever that means, might not be the best salesperson or the best mechanic or any like these things, because, you know, if a woman goes into a bike shop and isn't treated very well by somebody like that person, it doesn't matter how much they know about fixing that person's bike. Right. Like if they're, yeah. Um, so it's interesting too, to hear you talking about like the sexism from some of the, uh, customers, right? Because I mean, I've definitely heard women complain about sort of being patronized to by bike shop employees, but then as a woman working there to have like, you're like working on somebody's bike and then to have them not want to talk to you about it. That's pretty like, that's just rude, you know? And like, it's so, it's gotta be so clear what's going on, I guess. I don't know. Did, was that pretty common or not so much or, or is more subtle or nowadays I don't pay attention to it as much. It doesn't stay with me. It's not as hot as it used to be in the beginning. Uh, it, especially being in Portland, it surprised me how often it, it happens and just like flat out assume, assuming, um, that you're not the mechanic or I got a, I got a phone call when I was answering phones. The customer on the other side said, can I talk to your husband? That's the first thing. He, talk, he asked me when I said hi or and introduced my name and the shop's name. And yeah, that just like took me back. I didn't even have time to process. And I just like gave the phone to someone else. But like, wow. That's <laughs> yeah. so awful. That's so yeah, You're like the shop now. owner's wife. Like that is, there's so much bad in that like mm-hmm. you're answering, <laughs> like you're like the wife's secretary or something it's you have to be yeah. their wife in order to be at a bike shop that's yeah. terrible no no he's at he's at home taking care of the kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had i had time to think about what he said i would have put it right back in his face but <laughs> yeah but um now it's kind of fun to like have people question their assumptions and now that I have like a number of lines in my arsenal it's just a matter of making them think about what they're saying and the longer you're in this position of where you're traditionally not supposed to it just goes on everybody's radar that it's oh it's becoming more common and now in the future um, I'm hoping that there doesn't have to be a thing where being a woman in the bug shop is its own thing. It's just normal and it's not questioned. Um, that's where I'm hoping it goes. Well, cool. Um, I also want to talk, um, you had mentioned about uh, the Unity Ride, so I wanted to have you guys talk a little bit about that, how that started or how you got involved with it, I guess. Yeah, so one of my friends, my friend Lauren, she started the ride last summer last summer yeah and um I had just started um kind of like mingling with her and her friends and who later became mine and at first it just started like kind of a small little ride and it it kind of gained a lot of traction out of nowhere we took like a little hiatus at the end of 2020 when like COVID rates went up and it was just like winter so we were just like okay it's a good time to just like take a break and once it kind of started back started back up that's kind of when I started to get a little bit more involved helping organizing and we decided that we kind of wanted it to be more collaborative and community-based we didn't want just like every week 
or every other week to be the same ride or same ride leader. Anyone who wants to be involved can be involved. Like if they just say like, Hey, I want to help organize, um, like multiple people have access to our Instagram. Everyone kind of like pitches in the way that they want to. And it's really evolved, especially through Pedalpalooza, because that was like the first time that the ride was a part of that, because last year Pedalpalooza didn't happen. And that really transformed it into something else. At first, it was just kind of like, we're just spreading around town and kind of hanging out. And now it's like each week we have like a different length and different distance. And we try to make it as uh, inclusive as possible for anyone who is either like super experienced with riding, who wants to ride really fast and wants to ride like 15, 20 miles. And then we have some like shorter rides that are a little bit slower for someone who, you know, is new to riding or has some kind of like physical disability, like they can join as well. Yeah. And, and that also started kind of with the same mentality as people experience like with working in a bike shop or going to a bike shop. It's like, this is typically like a male dominated culture. And a lot of times when it's like a co-ed ride, it can become this thing of another thing of like, you don't know what you're talking about, like doubting, doubting your passion and doubting your involvement in bike riding. Even if you're super experienced or not, it's like, it feels like this, again, like this competition of like, how good of a rider, how much of a cyclist you are, instead of it just being, we're all people that enjoy riding bikes. Why can't we just do that together? On top of the fact that this is kind of what I heard was the main concern with social rides, at least, is with co-ed rides, sometimes there can be a lot of weird creepiness when it comes to like being head on or things like that. And then it becomes not about socializing too much and that can make people like non-male people or people who are not cis men feel kind of uncomfortable to be themselves or to be like or, or to go to a riot alone you know that I think that's it's like a it becomes like a safety thing sometimes as well of like I want to go to this ride but I don't know who's going to hit on me or who's going to follow me home or something like that and that's another thing that we've really tried to make sure like when we leave our rides like which direction are you going? Do you have someone that's riding with you? You know, let us know when you get home, yada, yada, like things like that. Um, so we like take so many of those different things that we don't like in other social rides into account in our ride and try to make it as enjoyable. And as like, I think like just, you know, not worry-free basically. Like I just want to ride my bike. I just want to have fun. and I want to meet new people and uh, just keep it as simple as that without having to worry about a bunch of other things. So if I was new and how would you describe the Unity ride? I mean, so we, we know what it is um, mm -hmm. because we've seen it evolve, but how would you describe it to someone new, just maybe just getting to Portland, just in a short way to, to let them know what was going on? Um, it's a ride that is for pretty much anyone that doesn't identify as um, cis male. Um, so for women, uh, transgender folks, non-binary people, gender non-conforming folks. It's a ride for people of those identities to enjoy riding bikes and to meet new people all throughout the city. You know, and it's just a really cool way to, to get familiar with the city to meet new people and to connect with 
people that are either really involved in the bike community or just or just learning. That's really interesting what you were saying about um, showing up to the ride by yourself because so I've I've only been on one unity ride and I went with my friend Kimber who you I think mm-hmm. you, know, you know Kimber but um yeah. but I know that before I go to any social ride I'm basically trying to figure out who I know that will be there uh which typically is Armando because he goes to every social ride <laughs> sometimes he manages to go to social rides like that are happening at the same time somehow he's at ones. um but anyway but I'll try to find somebody who's who that I know who's going and and I hadn't even until you said that it hadn't like I would totally show up to a unity ride by myself and I it's like I don't think I could have articulated that before you said it because it can be a really intimidating thing to think about uh for me anyway going to a a ride a social ride or any sort of event by myself but that wouldn't even be like I wouldn't yeah hesitate in that kind of environment and I remember the one time that I did go I think there were some folks who who did show up by themselves who seemed to be very I mean it's always a little awkward when you're there but it was very friendly and welcoming and yeah there wasn't yeah it, it wasn't this uh, environment of like lots of drinking and people being hit on, but, but also everybody's having a really good time and seem really relaxed. So yeah, that is, that makes for a very different environment and a really different feeling. I think of like, yeah, is it like of safety basically? Yeah. And we always try to greet people that we like, cause a lot of us, we know each other. We've like been riding together for almost a year now or over a year now, and uh, sometimes if we see an unfamiliar face or someone who came up alone, we're like, hi, like, what's your name? How are you doing? If it's, like, a smaller ride. When, when it was Petapalooza, it was kind of hard to, like, say hello to everyone because <laughs> it got really big. But, you know, if we ever see someone, like, roll up, we try to, like, say hello. and Because we understand that also, like, social anxiety is a thing, you know? Like, I don't know if I'm even going to meet anybody or I'm going to be so awkward. What do I say? But I started a conversation. So we also try to be like mindful of things like that as well, where if someone's by themselves, it's like, we're friendly. We want to be friends. It's amazing what being greeted can do for mm-hmm. people to make them feel welcome and included. Like it, yeah, it just, and, and it's like, if you're at a ride, even if you're not any sort of official organizer, like saying hello to people who seem to be by themselves is, is a really great way I think to make people feel welcome so you said that you've been trying to make them as inclusive as possible and I I would be curious to hear sort of like what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the past year about how to do that things that like now seem completely obvious but maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago you didn't really know or or just in general some of the things you've learned about organizing a regular big group ride totally definitely ahead of time now we try to make sure like at least among the organizers we have our own chat and we try to make sure like hey like let's uh like who's gonna go like who wants to cork because corking we've noticed is like such an important aspect and i think sometimes it's one of those things where you just think like oh yeah someone's someone's gonna take care of that but a lot of people are not familiar with what corking is or what like I think when you're familiar with social rights, it's kind of like an unspoken thing of like, you got to let everyone know when you're turning or someone has to block off traffic. And 
not everyone is familiar with those things. So now we try to say ahead of time, like, hey, are you able to cork? Or we like let everybody know ahead of time during the ride, like, if you feel like corking, if you feel up for it, totally do it. And we try to kind of like educate everybody on, you know, the stopping, rolling, like, like signaling basically. Um, another thing that was a lesson that we definitely learned recently was the shorter rides, was the length, the length and, and um, the speed of the rides. Um, I think that was something we didn't like think about at first. Um, Cause when we first started the ride, they were a lot shorter. Um, they were about like six to eight miles on average. And a lot of us like ride a little bit more frequently. And we were like, these are really short rides. Like we want to ride more and ride harder. And so that's kind of how it be- went from being bi-weekly to weekly. So we were like every other week we'll do slow and then fast and whatever. And then a lot of people reached out to us. And this is why, you know, we always encourage people to let us know what they want from us. Or that's why we also keep it open for anybody to be a ride leader. It's kind of like, if you have an idea for a ride and you think that you can be the best person to execute it, totally do it. But yeah, a lot of people were like, hey, like, you know, 10 miles is a lot for me, actually. Or eight miles is a lot for me. Can we do something a little bit slower or shorter? And uh, so now we've kind of like designated each week of the month because it's like we want to give everyone options. Uh, we don't want it to be the same all the time, especially that so many people ride at different rates. Everyone's at a different level with their experience. So we try to, we've now like figured out a method that anybody, literally anyone can join at no matter what like when, what level of experience they are. If they want to challenge themselves, they can do it. Or if they just want to kind of pick it where they are, they can do that as well. We had a guest on a little bit ago and uh, we, were, we were getting towards the end of the interview. And he's like, well, you didn't ask me about my bikes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, totally, we did not. It's so funny. And so I, I told myself, I'm going to ask people about their bikes. So I'm going to ask you, ask both of you, um, What's your, what's your favorite bike right now that you have? <laughs> um, my favorite bike, uh, I've pretty much been riding the same bike this year. Uh, cause I just, I just started riding fixed for the first time ever. Um, which I never thought I would ever do, uh, because I always just thought it was crazy, but now I'm crazy. Uh, I mean, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was a lot of influence from uh, like my partner and my friends because they mostly ride fixed. Um, so I ride a uh, Le Mans Fillmore, which is like an old school like track bike, uh, steel frame. Um, and then the ride, the bike I ride on the rides, since they're a little bit slower, I ride. I have like this. I have an older. I have a lot of like vintage bikes. That's kind of my favorite type of bike. It's um, a specialized Alans, and uh, it's. Yeah, just like a cute steel frame road bike. That was kind of, that's kind of always been like my go-to bike. Um, yeah. And then um, next bike goal is a gravel bike. because it's kind of hard to like not want to do that here in, in Oregon. Uh, that's kind of like my next bike goal. So I grew up in the Midwest. And so when this whole thing about gravel bike, gravel bike came up, came about, I'm like, Okay, I get that. I get gravel bike, you know, riding out in the rural areas. 
but I, I grew up in the Midwest where it's flat, you know, gravel mm -hmm. is flat yeah. farm roads. And like, when people talk about gravel riding here, they're talking about elevation and, yeah. and yeah. it's like, okay, that's totally different. When you say, you can't just say gravel road. I mean, you can say it here, but it totally means you're going to be climbing. And so, uh, I have, yeah. I have, I've been having to get used to that. <laughs> Jenna, how about, how about, uh, your, your favorite bike right now? Yeah. Before I get to that, I was going to say the longer I live in Portland, the smaller I realized the city is and I, that was the moment when I saw, when Sophie was talking about her bike, the moment I saw her fixie, I knew where it come from because my roommate had sold her that bike. And so <laughs> I, right. I, he told me he was selling his bike. I was like, oh, cool. The next day I go to work, my first day with Sophie, I'm like, oh, I know this bike. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That is so I forgot funny. about that. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a very small bike world, right? Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. Um, my favorite bike is my main go-to, like, do it all bike, uh, Salsa Marrakesh. It's just a touring bike, but I take it out uh, gravel roads, and mostly for commuting, but, yeah, it's heavy, but very versatile. Yeah. I'm curious to ask both of you how um, or if working in a bike shop um, changed your relationship with your own sort of bike riding? You know, I mean, obviously you were probably learning things that made you, you know, so, yeah. um, but then also Sophie, I guess I would also ask you if you could also talk about now that you're not working, you know, and right. Because sometimes when the thing that you do all the time becomes your job or stops being yes. your job, it can kind of change your relationship with that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I do miss working in a bike shop a lot. I think um, it never it never really came at a point where I was like, oh, I'm sick of bikes. I felt very like constantly absorbed by bikes, which I miss a lot. I still ride my bike as, you know, as often as I can, but I do miss it being like my world kind of revolving around bikes, constantly learning more about bikes. Like I feel in a way a little a little less connected because when you're, when it becomes your job, it's like all you have to talk about, all you learn. So I do, I do miss working in a bike shop. I learned a lot when I was there. I was, before I thought I knew, when I, before I, before I got hired, I was like, oh, I, I know a good amount. I know a decent amount. And then I started working there and I was like, wow, I know nothing. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's a whole world. <laughs> yeah. I still feel like I know very little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's a very fine balance to uh, walk on because um, once your whole world becomes bikes, you go home for the day, you don't want to think about bikes, you don't want to touch bikes. Like I hardly ever work on my own bikes. Um, but the big re a big reason I got into working on them is that feeling of empowerment that when you're out on the road or out on a long ride and you know how to fix your own flat and know like, how to troubleshoot if things go wrong, it's like a safety thing for me, but also like that sense of independence and oh, I can take care of myself. And that's something that I want to share with others. And the workshops is one of the ways that uh, we do that as a shop, but has been such a, like, again, sense of joy, especially during the pandemic. And I needed to do those rides. I needed to do the gravel rides and being like type two fun mode in order to remind myself why I'm doing this, even though it's so tough and it's tiring physically, emotionally, and mentally, that there's a reason why for all this like sweat and blood. 
and there's a lot of blood because I'm very clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jenna, something you've done outside of the bike world that's been fun for you? Ooh, so many. Um, but music is also a big part of my life. And during the pandemic, I picked up playing the handpan and joining a samba band. So those two things are both percussion instruments and yeah. <laughs> and stealthy. So much fun. I pretty much, I do photography. That's kind of another one of my outlets. I own like at least three or four cameras that I circulate through. And yeah, that's another one of my favorite things to do outside of bikes or even with bikes. I love to also take pictures at rides or my friends on their bikes. Well, thank you very much for joining us uh, this evening. Do you have any questions for us? It's like an mm. interview. Yeah. I yeah. know. I was just like, oh, <laughs> putting them on the spot. Like, what do you mean you didn't come prepared with well, questions? Well, this is William, like, said, you didn't want to, you didn't talk about my bikes. He's, mm. he's always, he made me nervous about not asking those <laughs> What didn't we ask you? How about what didn't we ask you? Yeah, there we what go. What else do you what want did to you ask? Oh, say? no, no, no. First, we have to ask you questions. Yeah. I have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go off over that too quickly. Uh, first, what was the catalyst to start this podcast? So the Sprocket podcast is is very old. Um, the gentlemen that started it, the two gentlemen that started it, started it in like 2009 or 2010. So that's super old in podcast world. Um, and I, I think Aaron stepped away for a second, but um, Aaron joined, I want to say like in 2012 or 13 as a guest, as a host. And then it was Aaron and Brock. Brock is the, uh, one of the originators. And then Joan and I started being guests in the late 2000 teens. And then Brock had a baby and then he had another baby. And so he retired and uh, they asked Joan and I to uh, be co-hosts on the show. So now there's four of us. There's Guthrie, Aaron, Joan, and myself. Uh, and we cool. rotate between, you know, re recording and interviewing and, and uh, arranging guests and things like that. So, um, so Joan and I, I think we just had our like a one year anniversary as co-hosts not too long ago. Awesome. Uh, nice. Uh, it's it's been super fun, but it's also it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> uh, recording, getting the guests, editing. Uh, I haven't edited yet. I think I'm going to edit this show though. So I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> okay. One more question. Do you um, both have either small Portland, small world moments, or specifically like small bike world moments? Go ahead, John. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Armando. I, small world. It's interesting because so I spent bike commuting. So I bike, I, I uh, bike commuted a little bit in college and then in grad school and also got like a road bike. Uh, in between when I was working in outdoor recreation, I was living in a rural area and I had a road bike um, and I've been bike commuting here for nine or 10 years. So I've been doing that. Well, except for the pandemic, <laughs> I've been riding my bike regularly for years and I've done a little cyclocross and I've done some road bicycling. But I think that what's really interesting to me is like how many different kinds of ways there are of being into bikes in Portland, um, you know, like, like whether you go to like a social ride or a pedal palooza ride, right? So that's like 
I don't even want to say it's a scene because it's not like all those people know each other. Right. And then within these social rides, there's like the bike clubs and that sometimes have a whole like aesthetic going, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> you know, like cool jean jackets and patches and all that kind of stuff. And then mm-hmm. there's like, um, like what, whatever kind of weirdo you are, you can be a weirdo on a bike and find your people, I think here. And then um, like, if you go to a cyclocross race, like there's still lots of different kinds of people, but there's all within that world, there's a lot of different kinds of people, but um, and then a couple of years ago, right before COVID, Armando and I went to like an open house for the Cycle Oregon. Um, yeah, for Cycle, it was like basically they were like showing what their roots were going to be. And I don't think that ended up happening. But it was so funny because I told Armando that I had never been around so many clean cut looking bike people in Oregon, right? Like in Portland, right? Because I'm used to going to these social rides where people are just like, I mean, you know, and then you go and then everybody there is like, you know, looks like neat and tidy. And I I felt like such a like messy slump there because they were just all very i mean armando you know what i'm talking about right like help me out here yeah and so i think that's actually what's interesting to me is like i mean you know there are all sorts of stereotypes about how different kind of people ride bikes but i think here and and you know there's like a lot of it's not like there's no intermingling of these groups, but um, yeah, I think one thing I like here is like, no matter what kind of bike you want to ride and no matter kind of what kind of person you are, I think you can find your people here. Right. And so, I mean, I'd say that maybe it's not even like a small world. I'd say maybe it's a big world bike community and that's what's so great about it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Not a, it's not a small world it's a big world. yeah I, I guess my i mean i just i talked about my our small world thing early i just met you once at the bike shop and then i met you again on another ride and then i met you i saw you playing tennis you know i mean i was going i was there for a ride but you were playing tennis and uh that was, that was really funny and then uh i had an just like you were talking about with sophie's bike um i met a gentleman that was uh just started working at go by bike and then later on that night i went to uh bike farm and he was there volunteering working on a bike so that was fun oh yeah that, that do you know the owner kyle johnson uh-huh yep it's funny i stayed with him he was a couch surfer host back when oh. i was visiting in portland and i was going to ubi i stayed with him oh, okay. and i also know kimber because at that time <laughs> she was um dating um this man who also hosted me Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. So that's how you met some folks. I will say if you're looking for small world bike stories in Portland, all you have to do is go to some bike event and ask anybody uh, if they've seen Armando. And even if they (laughs) knows Armando, everyone knows Armando. And so or they meet him soon enough. So I'd say that actually, like Armando might be the linchpin of the of the small of the 
he know he knows of the all. bike world yeah of the I bike world on that. yeah <laughs> like if, yeah like if you know when he leaves town we all like eat, fall apart we are nothing, <laughs> we are nothing without the him. web is broken <laughs> you're making me blush yeah <laughs> oh good then then i have achieved my goal for the evening <laughs> Well, yeah, great. that's well, great you. to meet people through couch surfing too. What a fun way to yeah. have meeting people too. So, well, thank you both so much. It was great to chat with you and hear a little bit more about your work and what you're up to. So thank you for your time. Yes. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having us. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.